Before we begin, just a warning, this podcast discusses child abuse. I'm Willow. I'm the CEO of Safeguarding Children here in New Zealand, and I'm passionate about preventing child abuse and ensuring that we do all we can to get children the help they need early. I believe that child abuse is preventable, not inevitable. I'm particularly interested in creating child-safe organisations. I have over 35 years' experience working with children, families and the very people in positions of trust who work and volunteer in roles of children. I'm going to be sharing my child safeguarding insights with you and introduce you to some of the incredible people I meet in my role who work tirelessly to protect and advocate for our most vulnerable citizens. I wish I didn't need to be talking about preventing child abuse. I wish that all children were safe, but sadly, that's not the case. So before you think this isn't the podcast for me, remember, we're all stakeholders. We were all children once and we've all experienced childhood. Corny as it sounds, children are our future. All of us as adults will be parents or have friends or family who are children. Some of you will be frontline workers who want to learn how to keep other people's children safe. So join me on each episode because knowledge is powerful and I know that together we will make a difference. Kia ora, Anton. Thank you for joining me today. Um, so um, I'm really interested to learn about the work that you do, um, the role that you've got and the work of STOP and um, the ways in which the, the work that you do and the work your team do contributes to the prevention of child sexual abuse. So over to you. You tell us all about you. Thank you very much. And uh, hello to everyone. Yeah, I'm Anton Ashcroft. Um, I'm a forensic psychologist by training. Uh, I was trained in the UK. I've been a forensic psychologist now for about nearly 30 years. And for the last two and a half years, I've been working at STOP as the adult clinical lead. And prior to that, I was supervising the psychologists at Tupidity, which is a, a special treatment unit as part of the prison service, Department of Corrections uh, up in Auckland. And then uh, prior to that, I was working as a departmental psychologist for quite some time. Uh, and the work that I do at STOP, well, STOP as an organization looks at uh, preventing harmful sexual behavior and also working with people who have engaged in harmful sexual behavior. And that's children, that's adolescents, and that's adults. And my particular focus is on working with adults, and that's people who have uh, ideation, so that means that they have sexual thoughts about children, but may not have acted on it. Uh, we also work with people who uh, have engaged in what's called CSAM, which is child sexual abuse imagery online. And we work with people who are engaged in contact offending of different sorts as well. So we have some people who come through the Ministry of Social Development, and they are not mandated, which means that they are coming voluntarily. And that we also work with people who have been mandated by the Department of Corrections to engage in some sort of intervention to help them with their harmful sexual behaviour. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. So, you know, we hear about the term paedophile and um, I know that the, that's a, a, there's a whole spectrum of um, different people. Um, so just explain 
um, the differences between the terms and um, what that means for the individual and what that means in relation to the protection and prevention of abuse of children. Uh, so it's a good question because the literature is uh, a little um, unclear about what we actually mean by paedophilia. Uh, there is a, a psychiatric manual called DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual version 5, which psychiatrists will use to define various disorders of which paedophilia is one of them. And in that diagnostic criteria, it's about an interest in children, so having sexual arousal or sexual fantasies specifically towards children. Now, what's a really important thing to be aware of, well, several things, is one of them is that um, there are very few people who are exclusively paedophilic. In other words, that they are only sexually interested or sexually aroused to children. And for some people in that category, they will identify almost as that's like the sexual orientation to them. They, for some people that I work with, they are re feel really bad that they have that orientation, but they uh, they feel as though it's unchangeable. It's not something that they can change in terms of their, their sexual interest. For most people, however, and this is a large proportion of the people that we work with, they have a non-exclusive interest in children, sexual interest in children. So they may have had some sexual contact, but that could be for an all a variety of different reasons. It might be that um, they were feeling socially awkward and didn't feel com uh, comfortable with adults. Um, they may um, have had misinterpreted some signals that were coming from the children around them. They may have had um, a sense of curiosity that some people talk about, but why were they curious in that particular age group? Um, so there's a whole different range of reasons why people will engage in um, contact and non-contact uh, um, behavior, sexual behavior, harmful sexual behavior towards uh, uh, children. But most people, and this is really important, is that most people who are adults will have a mixed interest. So they will likely be able to have an adult relationship. And then it's really interesting to find out what is it that has made them also interested in children. And that's what we work with within the um, uh, with, within STOP, is we try and look at what is the function of what interest. And if they have a mixed interest, we try and encourage them to focus on their adult interests and reduce their interests on children. And for people who have that mixed interest, that is entirely possible to do. For people who are paedophilic, and they are much, much smaller, exclusively paedophilic, there very, very few people that come into our services are exclusively paedophilic. And for those people who have that sense of sexual orientation, they, ha they have no interest in adults and exclusive interest in children. And they will see that almost as a sexual orientation that can't change. Now, our role when we work with that client group is to be able for them to acknowledge that that is um, how their brain processes the world, but also acknowledge the harm that it will cause them and other people if they act on those interests and those desires. And for some people, they will be at the ideation stage, which means that they will have had those thoughts. And they, most people, again, that we work with feel bad about having those thoughts because they know that it's wrong. Um, at, but they don't know how to manage them or how to stop them. So we help people understand um, what's going on in their brain, why they might be having these thoughts based on their history or based on their brain wiring, and then also how to self-manage and self-regulate in such a way that they will keep themselves safe and also keep children safe as well.
Okay, so when you are learning about them and learning about their background, are there common themes that come up in their childhood or is it different for each person? Uh, that's a really good question. And the answer is it's many and varied, but there are certain themes. Now, it's a myth to say that everyone who is sexually abused will go on to sexually abuse. The vast majority don't, but certainly that is a contributing factor. Some of the other factors are uh, a chaotic and unattached um, uh, attachment to their, their parents. So um, a chaotic attachment style where they find it hard to uh, associate with adults for various reasons. And that can be a learning difficulty or that can be social awkwardness. Um, we have quite a lot of people who are autistic who find it hard to read some of the social cues so they don't know when people are interested or when they're not. Um, and also, if you've got a developmental delay, then some people can identify as much younger than they actually are, so are attracted to people who are younger than they are. Uh, for some, it can be um, that they are feeling very uh, rejected or isolated in their adult relationship. They may be in a marriage, they may be uh, having an adult partner, but they can be then feeling much safer or much more comfortable with the children around them. And then again, misinterpret some of the cues that they, are, they assume that interest or um, sitting on their lap or coming for a cuddle, they may be misinterpreting some of these cues because of their own um, social isolation and wanting to misinterpret them in order to be able to justify um, creating that as not just a normal relationship or a, a, an adult to child relationship, but a sexual of sexual interest and sexual contact too. So we have a lot of people who justify their behavior in lots and lots of different ways. Um, and the person who is most likely to be uh, abused or uh, the abuser is most likely to be someone who is in your family. That's the, the biggest likelihood of um, all abuses that it's going to be a family member. It's not going to be a stranger. Because we all worry about stranger da danger as parents, but in actual fact, we know that it's the people that are closest to, to the child and the family that are the biggest risk to children. So um, what age does this interest in um, children appear? Is it is it there from childhood or does it come, what age does it actually appear, these thoughts appear? Usually it's there for quite a long time. So the, the people who identify as paedophilic, they'll often have had these thoughts and feelings at a very young age. Um, for some people, they may have been sexualized at a young age themselves. And so they then associate their own sexuality to the age in which they were sexualized themselves. Um, but uh, it can come on later in life through trauma or through um, social isolation. For some people, uh, it's the whole idea of risk-taking. It's the whole idea of, um, I'm going to do something that's dangerous. I'm looking at this and it's naughty and it's bad. And for that, that, that may be a motivator. Um, but they're less likely to engage in um, harmful sexual behavior over an extended period of time. The people who are big, at biggest risk of uh, engaging in that behavior and then repeatedly engaging in that behavior are people who have had that interest for, from quite a young age. So one of the things that really interests me is the prevention of child abuse and in this case the prevention of child sexual abuse. So can you just explain about the work that you do and how that 
um, is it works in the prevention space. And I'm also really interested in Anton because I know there was a big study in Germany where they did big public health campaigns, including adverts on television, um, reaching out to people who have got a sexual interest in children and encouraging them to get help early um, rather than them going down the rabbit hole of the dark net which in my opinion seems to me as though it can be like a university for people who want to sexually abuse children so just explain to me um do you know how those things work and how the work that you and your team um do how it works in the prevention space because i think do you know when i speak to people even my family and friends the idea that um one of the um best evidence way of preventing child sexual abuse is to help the people who've got a sexual interest in children, it's almost like an abhorrent consideration, but we know from research that it, that does work. From a prevention point of view, um, there is considerable amount of research now working on working with people who have got just sexual ide ideation. And um, it may be a harsh reality for some people, but we all have dark thoughts and not all of us will have dark thoughts about sexual interest in children, but most of us will have um, uh, inappropriate or even illegal thoughts, such as harm to other other adults in our lives or murderous thoughts. Or um, So we all have uh, a degree of dark thinking. And for some people, that, that focuses on um, incest as a, as a fantasy. It's, it's, uh, it may not be children, but it may still be within the family. Um, they may have thoughts of children and a large number of people. Um, again, we don't, we, this is anecdotal rather than research driven because you can never tell, but the assumption is that a large number of people, um, have these thoughts, but, um, never choose to act on them. Now, for some people, the, the, the first stage, if you like, of movement towards acting on your thoughts is to have thoughts in the first place. And the assumption is that we have quite a lot of people in the community who will have such thoughts, but will feel embarrassed to even admit that they have such thoughts and never have any intention of acting on them and are able to live a completely um, safe life without any sort of intervention whatsoever. The next group of people are people who have thoughts about children, but they also have some desire there as well. There's an interest, sexual interest. And for them, Again, they'd be split into into a group who feel so bad about it. That in itself is enough of a block for them to never engage. Um, but they may feel really bad about themselves and really bad about the thoughts that they're, they're having. But the step after that is having thoughts followed by desire and interest or arousal and then intent. I'm going to act on these thoughts in some way. And those people can act in a way where they may be uh, writing stories or they may be drawing or they may be accessing, as you said, the dark web for um, images. They may be trying to groom online by going into chat rooms and having uh, contact with children. Um, and it may be all the way along through just being interested in um, um, having that chat conversation from a parental point of view or a sort of caring point of view all the way through sexual intent of wanting to meet up and and make contact so we have a particular ideation service and uh, a, a program that we work with people who have those thoughts 
and they have the desire and they are um, interested in getting some sort of support to be able to manage themselves in such a way that they can lead what we call a, a good life and we work with what's called a good life model so we we identify in terms of our process we look at two areas one of them is what are called movement away uh, targets so that is how does someone reduce their risk of engaging in harmful sexual behavior um, in any sense and it can be even drawing because that's objectionable material if it's um, depicting children uh, so that's movement away and then the other side is we look at the movement towards skills is is what do they what do they need to um, engage in in terms of a good life that would enable them to get their need met that is currently met by that fantasy or that interest in children and that desire to act on it so we will focus on um, so the risk mitigation strategies might be things like um, challenging cognitive distortions or the things that give them permission to think that it's okay it's uh, about emotional self-regulation if they are using images for example or the or fantasies or the thoughts as a way of sexual relief um, it can be about um, uh, relationships and understanding relationships and the idea of what is consensual and what is not and what is illegal and what is not it may sound obvious to a lot of us but for some people especially if someone is like 14 or 15 the boundaries in some people's heads can get blurred and they don't understand the power dynamic or the power and control aspects of what's going on in their abusive relationship with a with a child so we'll look at that so those are all movement away strategies and then the movement towards strategies are things like well how do i emotionally self-regulate in a helpful way how do i um, enhance my connection with adults in such a way that I have satisfying relationships so that's like communication skills social skills um, uh, initiating and engaging in conversation understanding dissent uh, consent within the context of healthy sexuality with adult to adult relationships if they have that level of interest so those are the essential ingredients that we look at are the movement away and the movement towards in terms of rehab and for prevention it's focusing on those people who have not yet engaged in um, any harmful sexual behavior per se but they have both the thoughts there and they also have that early um, stage of desire as well and um, yes ideally as you were saying the more we can promote this and let people know there is such a service and the earlier that we can get in the less likely it is that they will then start reducing what's already what's in in their heads at the moment the fact that they've not acted means there's already a block and if they come and see us, we can enhance the strength of that block. But if often people are left on their own, the risk is that some of these people, that block will reduce over time. So they start to give themselves more and more permission to engage in the desire that they're experiencing. Yeah. And for me, it's especially if they go onto the dark net and start socializing with people that um, are like them, it can make the situation worse can't it so how do people refer so you know if there is somebody that's got these thoughts and ideations about children how do they refer do they have to go to their gp anton what what do what do they do how do you get to see them they can refer to stop directly so um give us a call write us an email uh, send us a letter it doesn't matter how you communicate you can make a direct referral you can even anonymize um, your details to begin with if you're feeling a little bit uncertain. 
but we are more than happy to have those conversations just to see if we can provide a service that will be useful, both, as I said, in, in terms of the reducing risk and also enhancing the quality of um, your life in, in other ways, if that's something that you're experiencing. It's vital work that you do, Anton, and um, thank you to you and your team for doing this work. I just think it's one aspect of prevention that very few people know about, even in the, um, you know, the circles that I mix in, um, which are, are around child abuse prevention and strategies. Was um, it part of the um, New Zealand um, strategy, the 25-year strategy for reducing child abuse? Is, is this type of work mentioned in, in that document, in the Te Aurarikura document? I don't know whether it's mentioned specifically in that document, but there are uh, several research projects going on around the country that is promoting this very very type of um, intervention. So it is becoming more and more uh, widely known about. And yeah, I mean, I, if it's not in that document, I'd advocate that it absolutely is because it does make it, it does make a big yeah, difference. Yeah, so to me, it would be good to have some investment in this area, even if it's just promoting the service and making people realize that help is out there um, and really just um, educating people, you know, the difference the differences in the the levels of interest in, in in children because the word paedophile gets branded around and there's a whole spectrum of different um, people that are out are out there. So how in the work that you do um, working on the front line, how do you look after yourself? How do you have you got children? Uh, yes, I've got two children. Myself and my partner's also got two children. We are uh, encouraged to engage in supervision on a regular basis. And you look at what are known as the transference and counter-transference processes. That's your emotional reaction to the people that you're working with. And um, if you're experiencing a really strong reaction, then it's really important to understand what's going on for you so that you can manage it so that you can, when you're working with people, work with them and see them for the person that they are, not just the behavior that they engage in. Um, so for me, supervision is critically important. Um, just debriefing with colleagues, and if you've had a particularly challenging session, is it can be incredibly helpful just to offload to the, um, the colleagues around you. Um, and I also make sure I have a good work-life balance so that I'm able to um, enjoy life outside of work. And a big thing for me, there's a, an idea, it's called the third space which is um, mentally and consciously leaving work at work. And I know that that sounds obvious and easy, but most people don't do it, they ruminate. But what I do is at the end of the day, once I've finished work, I will, con I will cycle from work to home. And during that cycle ride, I'll mentally process and put aside everything that's happened in the day at work. And then when I come back home, I'm now in a headspace where I'm, I'm um, ready for home rather than I'm still thinking about work. And in your own, own parenting, have you, how, bearing in mind what you know, how, how easy has it been to um, not worry about your own children? Is it because of this third space that you talk about? Um, I think it's no, just knowing the statistics. I think that really helps is that um, the number of people who engage in, in harmful sexual behavior is not as high as um, most people would fear. Um, and also, given that it's a family member, it's mon it's close monitoring and making sure that your your family is safe and that if you're with your children, you're able to be with them 
in a way that you're happy with. Like, for example, if they go out for a sleepover, is that knowing something about the parents before you you say that that's okay. So it's sort of t taking healthy awareness of what the possible risks are and also realizing that in the vast majority of cases, most people will be safe in most situations from harmful sexual behavior towards children. And that's good to hear. And we were just talking about that with our production team because they've got children and um, they were like, how are they ever going to trust anybody? So that's really good, good to hear. And um, that's absolutely fantastic. And, and thank you for sharing with us the work that you do and the difference that you make. And um, it's just great for people to know what's out there in the prevention space, because we're all yeah. appalled when we hear about stories of children being abused and neglected. But it's also, I think as parents, reassuring to hear that there are people like you out there, Anton, and the whole team from STOP that really work tirelessly um, to keep our children safe. So thank you for joining me and thank you for all that you do. And um, this is a podcast that's about the prevention of child abuse. And I feel really strongly that I know that together we all can make a difference. So thank you. Well, absolute pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs>